0: Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Identity. Good morning, Cross family. I pray you're having a great day. And I pray that your heart is open uh, for just the transforming work uh, of the Holy Spirit right now in your life. Let's pray and let's really ask God to speak into our lives and let's pray that our hearts would be aligned in such a way that we will obey whatever uh, the Lord shows us today. So, Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that we have the opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. And, Father, as my, my friend, friends and family... Lord, find them uh, themselves in different geographical locations, uh, whether on an iPad or an iPhone or watching a TV or whatever, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak, you would minister, and that our hearts, Father, would receive the truth of the gospel today and that we would really desire, like never before, to live a life that's incredibly just yielded and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for what you're about to do. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the time of celebrating how good you are in adoration. Now we yield this space and this time to you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to use an illustration with you. And I, I read this one a few years back, and it had incredible impact in my life. But during the Great Depression, a man by the name of Mr. Yates, he owned a sheep ranch in West Texas. Money was tight. He was in danger of losing his ranch. Times were tough, and Mr. Yates was struggling even to meet financial obligation. His family was having to live on government funding. Then one day, a crew from an oil company came to the area, and they informed Mr. Yates that they thought there might be oil on his land. They asked permission to uh, drill a test well He signed the contract, and at 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well produced about 80,000 barrels a day. More wells were drilled, producing twice as much even as the first. And guess what? Mr. Yates owned it all. He was a multi-millionaire. But here was the problem. He had been living in poverty. His problem was he did not know that the oil was there. He owned it, but he did not possess it. So many people that acknowledge God, so many people that even confess belief in Christ, they they say, yes, I confess that Jesus is Lord, but very, very few possess the abundant life I would say it this way. It is possible to to claim that you're a follower of Jesus and still live in spiritual poverty. There are so many people that have walked in through the doors of a church. They listen to teaching. They go, yes, I I want God to save me. But as, as far as living the abundant life and living a life that's overflowed with the joy of the Lord, It is a foreign concept, and so many people live in spiritual poverty. As we study uh, the Scripture, and as we ponder this entire concept of our identity in Christ, the Scripture tells us that in Christ we inherit all the riches of God. I'm not talking about earthly wealth, but I'm talking about a wellspring of spiritual wealth. And we must believe what God believes about us. We must believe what God says to be true. We must learn to possess our possessions in Christ. Now, let me say this to you. This is not a name it and claim it theology. Not at all. This is a know it and embrace it approach to life. This is knowing God knowing what God says, and receiving what God says to be true about us. Now, I want to establish this truth, and I think this truth is foundational for all of us. And here would be the, 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 the point. We live in a world of pain and suffering. All of us are acquainted with pain and suffering. Suffering, again, is the universal language. Suffering is a common thread that bonds us all together. None of us escape pain. Troubles come our way. Our bodies wear out. Every one of us has hurts and heartache, and each and every one of us will experience adversity. But something inside of us believes at times. And I'm telling you, people really do land here. Something inside of us believes that good people, whatever good means, we believe that good people should not suffer. We look around us and we pay attention to certain things that are happening globally throughout the world. And it's like people should not starve to death or people should not have to experience oppression or kids shouldn't have cancer. And many of us struggle with the problem of pain but we all suffer. And when God doesn't answer or move immediately to rescue us from our pain, we make the assumption that he really doesn't care. It's a fallacious style uh, thought process. It's, It's terrible. Now, here's a fundamental problem. Based on the Western culture in which we find ourselves living, we live in a culture of escapism. Escapism in a simple definition, is avoiding that which is unpleasant, or avoiding that which we think is boring, or avoiding that which looks like it's boring. It seeks to ignore the pressures of daily life. And people try to eliminate feelings of depression or sadness by escaping reality and by filling the mind with entertainment or activity, or starting to medicate with drugs, alcohol, etc. And so, so many people live in that world right there. It's escapism. Paul Washer, I was reading a quote from him, and he made this statement. He said, reality is no longer good enough for most people. Reality is not exciting. So many people live in a fantasy world. And when media and video games and everything else become so big in your life, reality is no longer fun. This is the culture that we have moved into. And so we're all living in this world where we love the adrenaline rush, but just reality is not enough. We want to live in fantasy. We want to live in la-la land for so many people. And it gets so jacked up. We live in a culture that seeks pleasure and desires to eliminate pain. Jesus again said, "In this world, this space you're living in right now, you're going to have trouble." But here, here, here's where we go. We want a God, and so many people. This is where they're at. This is their worldview and belief system. Uh, we want a God that extends freedom to us, that extends all this pleasure to us, but we want a God that eliminates the consequences for bad choices. And so many people are stuck there today, man. I want that God that's going to bless me, but I don't want to have the consequences of when I get outside of his will. The American Western uh, mentality today believes something like this. God is good as long as I can do whatever I wish to do. Or God is good as long as the outcome favors me. Or God is good when things are going my way. But, but, God is not good when I have to reap what I sow. God is not good when tragedy knocks on my door. And so we've got such a distorted view of God. And the problem is this, for so so many of us, we're, we're, we're numb and ignorant to the suffering around us because suffering for so many of us only hurts when we're the ones going through it. And if suffering appears pointless, I look at it and go, that just appears pointless. Then I conclude it must be pointless. But God is at work at all times, and God uses pain and adversity and suffering and all this stuff to bring us to a place where we will depend on him and not ourselves. So embracing our true identity in Jesus and possessing our inheritance in Christ will involve suffering. Again, the name it and claim it word of faith movement is a lie from hell. I would encourage you, watch the documentary on Netflix called The American Gospel. It, it, it exposes so many of these false beliefs that this name it, claim it, blab it and grab it stuff is, is, is teaching throughout the Western culture. And it's a lie from hell. Now, here, here's where I want to move into. I want you to think about this. It is a joy to walk in complete forgiveness, meaning God forgives me. He does not hold my sin against me. Again, using the word justification and reconciliation and propitiation from last week and regeneration. Oh, I am forgiven. It is so freeing to live guilt-free. But that's only part of the gospel. Christ in us is our hope. Our hope is established and found on Christ in us. In Colossians chapter one, Colossians one, Paul writes this starting in verse 24. Oh, read this. He makes the statement. He goes, I am glad when I suffer. How many people make that statement? I am glad when I suffer. Paul was being persecuted and attacked for proclaiming the gospel. Now, remember, before his conversion, he was attacking those of the way, other Christ followers. But Paul goes, as a a follower of Christ and yielded to Jesus, I'm glad when I suffer, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. I'm glad when I suffer. Jesus suffered. We're going to suffer. Then he goes on to say, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church. He's given me this responsibility to serve the church by proclaiming his entire message to you. Oh, this is so good. The message was kept secret for centuries. The message was hidden and kept secret for the generations past, but it has now been revealed To God's saints, who were God's saints. Saints are those who were sinners that repented, that turned from their sin, confessed Christ, received him, and he calls us now saints. Now, the message was kept for saints. For God wanted them to know. Who? Saints. Those who have repented and received Christ, who are desiring to walk with God. God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, let's unpackage this. Because God, I believe, as you sit there and ponder today, he wants you to possess the possessions that he's made available to you in Christ. Here is the secret. Here is the inheritance. Christ lives in you. God's power and God's glory now exists in you. He even told the disciples, I mean, on the day of Pentecost, right before that, he said, go to the upper room and wait, and you shall receive power. And and, and so as we think through this, it's like God has re- he, he's released to us that we would receive power and glory. What is glory? Now, glory, one of the definitions is the sum of all of God's magnificent attributes. But here's where I would go with it. What is the glory of God? It is the presence and the character of God plus the power of God inside of me through the person of the Holy Spirit. So God goes, I want you to receive my glory. It's the presence and character of God. It is the power The word of Holy Spirit there is the word Parakletos, the one that will take up residence inside of us. He goes, I want you to know I've released and I've made available my glory. I want to walk in the glory of God. I want to walk in the presence and power. Now, listen to this. You now, as a believer, if you've repented and you've confessed that Jesus is Lord, meaning turning from your sin and said, Jesus, you're the only way and I'm going to follow you, I believe. You now possess God's glory because of faith in Jesus. The Bible says that if you have confessed that Jesus is the Christ and you have received him as Lord, master authority of your life, then Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ now dwells inside of me through the person of the Holy Spirit. So God brought a way of escape. That is the gospel, God delivering lost man and bringing man back into right relationships uh, with himself, God redeeming, God rescuing. So I do not have to live by the Adamic Adam nature anymore. Through one man, sin entered into the world. Romans 5.12 says this. But through one man, sin spread. So I was born into the world with the Adamic nature. The Adamic nature is driven by sin and selfishness. I don't have to live by the Adamic nature anymore. I can live by Christ's nature now because the hope of the, the glory of the gospel is Christ now lives in me. Now, knowing what it means to have Christ in you will blow your mind. It will absolutely blow your mind if you ever start to step in to who God says you are. Christ in you, his peace and his presence and his power and the perspective of God can dwell in you. And I invite you to step into your inheritance. So many of us, like Mr. Yates, were sitting on all this, this, this rich wealth. We're not possessing it because we don't even know it's there. And so many people have ignored and rejected and refused to study the word of God. And God goes, I want you to know your possession. Paul even said it this way. Paul's goal for all believers was basically declared in Galatians 4.19. He goes, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they're going to continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I I feel like I'm in labor pains. I feel like I'm just hurting and the unrest. And I, I want to see Christ dwell in you. So the fullness of the gospel is that Christ now dwells in us. His power enables us to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. We are restored to the proper position that God intended for us. Now we, we we've established this, but God has now brought us back to proper position. And as I said weeks ago, in Genesis chapter three, I mean the image of God, or should I say, in, in, in Genesis two, the image of God is revealed when He creates man in His image. An image, uh, the image of God was revealed, and we've been made body, soul, and spirit, triune beings. It was revealed. But it was removed and distorted in Genesis chapter 3 because of sin. The image of God returned in the person of Jesus. 33 plus years, a sinless life. Hey, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was pure. He was perfect. And the image now is restored through salvation when we repent and receive Christ. Now, I want to walk in that position of being restored with the Lord. If we're going to do that, we must be plugged in to the power of God if we're ever going to be fully alive. And one of the things you'll hear us teach here is we desire to see every person fully alive in Jesus. We want to see you flourishing. We don't want to just see you function, right? So here would be the illustration. A light hung from the ceiling is only a decoration if it does not have electricity flowing to it to fulfill its purpose. It must have power. I heard it said years ago, flipping a switch. It doesn't create electricity. It just releases it. So Christ in us is the power and the electricity of God. You, you, You've got to understand that when God takes up residence inside of you, you've been given the power of God, but, but it's got to be plugged in. It, it's got to be hooked to the power source every day, and the power source to me is the word of God. We must worship God in spirit and in truth. We've got to know truth. Here, here would be another illustration, if you will. A car without gas will not run. I don't jack with my illustration. I know we got electric cars now. But listen to me. A car without gas is not going to run. You can wash it, and you can clean it, and you can show it to your friends. But a car must have gas to fulfill its purpose. And your gas tank may even be clean. That's like saying, I'm forgiven. But it must have gas to function as it was designed. If it does not have the power to run, you will not go anywhere. And the same is true of every person who claims to be a believer. It is great to be forgiven. I'm clean. But we need God's power. We need his power every day to live out the Christian life. And we can't trust ourselves. We can't depend on ourselves. We, we can't get on the performance or the approval treadmills and try to find. We've got to find our our hope and our worth and our value in the vertical. When sin separated man from God, man lost his power. Man ran out of gas. He could not function as God intended for him to function. He could not live as he should live. And so when Paul says the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, that is what gives us power to function and flourish and live as we should. We can fulfill the divine purpose, the divine purpose that God placed us on this planet for which we uh, were created to live out. We can fulfill that now through the power of the Holy Spirit of Christ being in us. So here's the full gospel. Christ died for our sins. We're totally forgiven. Plus, Christ's power through the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us, and our inheritance is we are in Christ Christ is in us. Oh, what a great mystery. So I am hidden in Christ. My name is written in the book of life. And if you've repented and surrendered, you're in Christ. But Christ is also in you. So when you're saved, the good news is God gives you everything you need to live a victorious life. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Oh, This is so good. But it says, by his divine power, whose power? God's. By his divine power, God has given us everything, everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Gnosko. We've come to know him. And because of his glory and because of his excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you. Oh, th- these promises enable you to share his divine nature. They allow you to escape the world's corruption caused by the lust in the world. Precious promises. God's given you everything you need to live the abundant, ah, oh, joyful, just freed up, powerful life that you were intended. You're not going to find it in the world. So Jesus Christ has given you everything you need for godliness. And these precious, great promises are made available once we come to surrender to Christ. So when you pick up the New Testament, the, the, the New Testament is like a living will if, 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 if you go there. And we had to create a will for our family, and Barb and I created one uh, years ago, and then we've massaged it again and massaged it again. But the will, oh, the will is so important. When someone dies with a will, they leave valuable things to their loved ones. And so when Jesus Christ died... He gave us in his will great and precious promises. I want to stand on the promises of God. So when you trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, he forgave you. He brought you into a right relationship with himself and the triune God. He says you can now call yourself a child of God. You're a friend of the the king, and God is now your father. Christ is your Savior. He's your friend. You're a part of the family. That's who you are. You are secure, significant. You are loved. You are accepted. And this inheritance of all that Christ has made available is available to you. Again, we must learn to possess our possessions. We've got to possess it. If a rich relative died and left you a $100 million dollars, Would you sit around and just look at the bank statement and go, well, that's cool. There's a million dollars left to me. That wealth wouldn't do you any good until you withdrew it and started using it. There's a lot of people. Oh, man, I'm going to start living the abundant life when I get to heaven. It's available now. The abundant, overflowing life of Christ is available now we're not going to live just like this great life of joy when we get to heaven. We can live it now based on the power of Christ in us. We have everything we need, even as Peter would write, through our knowledge of him. If we don't know the promises of God, we can't possess them. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the power is the power we have to possess our possessions in Christ. We have the divine nature of God within us. Yes, the Holy Spirit has made the divine nature of God available. It is manifest in us as we apply the Word of God application in. And through our lives, we must allow Christ to live his life through us to produce his character, his love, his joy, his peace, etc. We must claim our inheritance, but we don't get it all at once. We must study to possess it. Study. To show yourself approved as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, one who can rightly and accurately handle the word of truth. Study it, know it, apply it. Paul would even write do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind is renewed by the Holy Spirit as we study the word of God. Knowledge of the word leads us to know what God's perfect will is. God, this is your good, acceptable, and perfect will. I want to walk in that. So the Holy Spirit uses the truth of Scripture to transform us and mold us and shape us into the likeness of Christ, which when he's doing that, it's increasing his glory in us. God will use other people, uh, oftentimes, to, to crucify things in our flesh and, and God will allow us to go through certain things that will crucify and, and eradicate our flesh so that we learn to walk in the Spirit. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what Paul prayed. He goes, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. You will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And and I'm telling you right now, this is so crucial. He goes on to say, we pray. We pray that you will be strengthened with all of his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and all the patience that you need. And may you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people. God, he invites us. I want you to know God. I want you to share. Even study that prayer. Paul's prayer is not for God to give the believer more. But it's for the believer to have knowledge of what he already has. Knowledge allows him to possess his possessions. It's it's kind of like studying, if you will, like Galatians five and the fruit of the spirit. Just hear this one. I had so many people say this over the years, but if you ponder Galatians five, fruit of the spirit, people have said this to me. Hey man, don't pray for patience. God will take you through the ringer. No, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Praying for patience is like asking God to give you permission to enter a room that you're already in. God has already made his divine nature available. God has already extended his inheritance to you. So when we pray, God, I just pray you'd give me more. God goes, I've already given you great and precious promises. I just want you to know what they are so that you can activate and walk in them. God has made this available to us. So here would be my kind of wrap with you today. Our motivation, I believe, we, we've got to check out the intent of our heart and know the real why, but our motivation for studying the Word of God is, one, to know God in an intimate way. Why do you study? I want to know God. Two, to claim our inheritance and have power to honor the Lord with our lives. Why are you studying it? Because I want to claim what God says belongs to me. I want to honor the Lord. And three... What is your motivation? I want to reflect God's glory and his goodness and power to the world in which I live. So I've got to know it. I've got to claim it. But then I want to reflect it. And as we discover who we are in Christ, as we discover who we are in Christ, according to the scripture, we are able to live consistently with our true, honest, real identity. But we must saturate our minds with the Word of God. Five simple methods of learning God's Word. You hear it, you read it, you study it, you memorize it, and then you meditate on it. Each of these methods, if you implement them, will allow you to move to a place where you start to possess your possessions in Christ. We hear it, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing it, hearing by the word of God. So hearing the word, what happens? Many people come to faith through hearing. So you hear it, and then you say, I've got to read it. What promises does God make to us who read the word? Revelation 1, 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things that are written in it, For the time is near. He even says in Revelation, you're blessed if you read it and hear it and ponder it. We should study it. Again, I quoted 2 Timothy 2.15. But what should be our goal in study? So that we can rightly and accurately handle the word of truth. And so then we go to a place of saying, I've got to memorize it. I mean, I would encourage you, personalize every verse, but hide it in your heart Memorize God's word. I started this Oh, Thank you, God, for my buddy Walter. But he turned me on to scripture memory when I first got saved. And it's radically changed me for these 35 years I've walked with Jesus. So I would encourage you, memorize it. And then I would encourage you to meditate on it. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the council or sit or stand, whatever, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. And the Greek word for meditate means to practice. The Hebrew was more of a, a murmur. I've hit, heard people say it's kind of like a drippy faucet. Just when you're meditating, it's constantly just, uh, I mean, it's just dri- dripping in you, Right? And it's like a drippy faucet that you hear, but when you're meditating, you're constantly allowing the Word of God to saturate and penetrate. Oh, If you're going to walk in your inheritance, you've got to know the Word. So when I study, and here's one of the practices you'll hear from me, Dustin, Nick, Rick, our team, when you're reading and studying, always ask two simple questions. What is the meaning of this verse, or what is the meaning of this Word based on its context okay Lord what does this mean and then the second thing is how can I apply this verse this paragraph this passage to my life I want you to I just want to encourage you today please claim your inheritance in Christ possess the possessions that God has made available I'm telling you right now it will change your Life. So, Father, thank you that in Christ you've given us everything we need to live a godly life. Lord, you've given us everything. Lord, again, we live in this world of spiritual war. The enemy's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And, Lord, I realize he's trying to disrupt, discourage, and take every person down. But I pray as we dive into who we are in Christ's identity that we would embrace our inheritance. That for so many people, Lord, they claim to know you as Savior, but they have never allowed the hope of the gospel, the power of your glory to reside inside. So, Lord, I pray even right now, if there's sin in people's lives, that they would violently repent. They would lay it before you today. Lord, they would confess any evil, wicked stuff going on inside of their lives And I pray in the name of Jesus that they would invite the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, they would just say, please take over. I'm sick of being miserable. I'm sick of living in defeat. Lord, I want you to radically, radically change me. And so I thank you for what you're doing in each and every one of my friends' lives today that are sitting here, Father, pondering, uh, Lord, even what it means to walk in the inheritance that you've made available. Lord, touch us, teach us, transform us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, We hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through... Uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. And we pray that you utilize those and we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.